0: Welcome to Salem Alliance Church. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit us at salemalliance.org. This week's message is by Brian Condello. Good morning, church. Good to see you here this morning. If you recognize the common thread through all of those proverbs, it was self-control. And I am told that Preaching topics are not given out based on the need of the preaching pastor. <laughs> we'll see. I don't know what you think of when you think of self-control. I don't know if you think of somebody with an explosive temper and just flying off the handle and angry or, or someone that assaults someone else with their words. Maybe you think of a physical relationship that's going down the wrong path. Or maybe you think of food. Food. I want to begin this morning with an example that might seem like it's a little bit of a lower level example, but I think it's indicative of our struggles on a larger level. I want to talk about the struggle some people have with snack food. Right? How many of you are Kit Kat fans? Right? There's Kit Kats, and maybe that's a good thing. Uh Eminem Pina? Yeah, that could be yours too. Um, Twix? Twi- oh, <laughs> a murmur goes through the crowd. But we know that at the peak of the snack food pyramid, peanut butter cups. Yeah, <laughs> my people. And we know this because this is what Jesus would eat. Right, I, I can't back that up biblically, it's, it's just intuition that tells me that. Because in my head, I often wonder if Jesus at some point would gather his disciples when it was just them, just his disciples. And, and he knew that the road that they had to walk, he, he knew that it was going to be difficult. He knew that there was going to be some serious struggles. And so he wanted to bless them. And so when it was just them, he was like, you know, Matthew, Mark, don't write this down. Don't nobody tell anybody what I'm about to do. And then he'd like turn rocks into peanut butter cups just to bless them, and they're like, this is amazing, what is it? It's peanut butter cup, don't say anything, they're gonna be really popular. (laughs) Tonight we'll have s'mores, I'll explain that later too. When I see these sitting out, when I see peanut butter cups sitting out, you know what I tell myself? I'm going to have just one. More. (laughs) Just one more. I'm going to have just one more of these because quite frankly, these are minis. And we know that there's probably 10 to 12 of these that make up a regular peanut butter cup. <laughs> and peanut butter cups come in pairs. So probably, that's probably 20 to 24 of these. And then at that point, you can't just leave a few at the bottom of the bag, that's wasting space. So you might as well finish it off. Exactly, but there is always a voice that goes off in our head though, right? When, when we're kind of leaning into something that we know is wrong, there's a little voice in our head that goes, hey, slow down there champ you might need to think about what it is that you're doing. Yes, you could probably consume the entire bag, but that would be your caloric intake for the next month, and you need to pull way back on that. Besides, you've been talking about eating healthier. Why don't you try carrot? (laughs) What do we do with the voice in our head at that moment? Because the voice in our heads cannot compete with the image that's in front of us, right? The voice in our head that says eat a carrot can never compete with a bag of peanut butter cups because they're right there, they're right in front of us. And we do that with so many different struggles that we have. We look to the present and we don't think about the future. And we also get taken in by the image that's in front of us. I think if we're honest with ourselves, all of us wrestle with self-control. All of us have some area of our lives that's out of control. Maybe it's emotions. Maybe you let your emotions get the best of you and then that leads to words, words that just come out of you that you just try and pull back in all the time. Maybe you wrestle with buying and spending. Maybe you just keep spending and it's kind of a compulsive thing. Maybe it's food, maybe you do wrestle with food. Maybe it is a physical relationship. Maybe it's social media to post or not to post because those people need to know the truth. And if you can't think of an area of your life that's out of control, may I humbly suggest pride. (laughs) It it could be your pride. I don't know. I mean, self-control is a big deal. Self-control is hard. A couple years ago, the University of Pennsylvania's psychology department surveyed over 2 million people. And the survey was a list of 24 character traits, and you were supposed to rank those character traits in order of... What I have most under control to what I have least under control. And over 2 million people, the bottom of the list by a long shot was self-control. Where people said, I just, this I'm good at, this I'm okay at, this I'm self-control, not a chance. And so why do we feel so out of control when it comes to self-control? And how can we learn to grow in self-control? And do we even think it's a reasonable expectation to be self-controlled? Maybe we feel like God created me this way and these are the natural urges and desires that I have and that's so repressive to think that you would even control those things. So that's what we're gonna talk about this morning. We're continuing on in our series, Foolproof, and we're looking at the book of Proverbs and certain different subjects from the book of Proverbs. And I just wanna remind you of two things that Steve talked about when he kicked this series off. Steve talked about that these Proverbs are principles and not promises. And that's important for us to remember that these are best practices, they're not guarantees. And we need to remember that because oftentimes we will look at that as a promise and then when it doesn't come true, we get angry at ourselves or we get angry at God and we become disillusioned and distant. And so we need to remember, this is the best possible way for us to live, but it's not always going to happen 100% of the time. And the other thing we talked about was that these are pathways and not doorways. Pathways are what you get on, and you take one foot in front of the other, and left and right, day by day, making just slow, steady progress. It's not a doorway. You don't just turn the knob and walk through and say, I'm self-controlled. We know it doesn't work that way. And so we need to remember those things as we lean into the topic of self-control. And I wanna put Proverbs 5 back up on the screen here. An evil man is held captive by his own sins. They are ropes that catch and hold him. He will die for lack of self-control. He will be lost because of his great foolishness. Now, that's quite a word picture, isn't it? That there are things that we do. There's this inside of us that wants to do these certain things that are sin. And those things tend to hold us captive. They're the ropes that tie us up. And if we lack self-control, it's taking us down the wrong path. And as we launch into this this morning, I wanna frame self-control a little bit better because I think a better understanding of what self-control is will give us a better understanding of how we can grow in self-control. So the first definition I wanna give you is this. Self-control is not retaliating when your lead pastor throws you under the bus with a Photoshop picture. That's what it is. So. So if you were here a couple weeks ago, Steve maliciously threw me under the bus, put my face on Woody. So I just went and found his senior picture and didn't have to Photoshop it at all. (laughs) That's just how he was back then with a very strange affinity for cats. (laughs) Sorry if that upset your delicate sensitivities. It's been nice working here. So the first place I went, truly, I went to the dictionary and looked up self-control. And the definition that the dictionary gave me was the ability to control oneself. And I thought, that's no help at all. That's a horrible definition. So I went to Scripture. I went to the Hebrew in the Old Testament. And the word that they use for self-control there is discipline and correction of the moral nature. Discipline and correction of of your morals. The ability to kind of be disciplined in the good things that you should be doing. The Greek in the New Testament is the power over the ego. Having power over the ego. The Greeks actually looked at self-control as the chief virtue. Aristotle said this. He said, I count him braver who overcomes his desires than him who conquers his enemies. For the hardest victory is over self. The Greeks would say, you are not truly free until you are self-controlled. This is a big deal. This has significance in our lives. You see, self-control isn't just another one in a list of virtues. It's just not one of the fruit in the end of a long list of fruit in Galatians chapter 5. Self-control is that virtue. It's that fruit that keeps us on the proper path so that we can lean into the other fruit, so that we can lean into the other virtues, It has significance. It's what keeps us going in the right direction so that we can be conformed to the character of Christ so that all these other things can be a part of our lives. And so I would give you this definition this morning of what self-control is. Self-control is the ability to choose God's will over our wants, his commands over our cravings. And I would add this as well. The ability to choose the important over the immediate, the essential over the urgent two ideas here. This idea that there's a lot of things that I want to do, but I understand that not all of those things are correct. And also I want to lift my gaze from just the small area that I stand around in and see the future and realize that I'm living a story that's beyond just this moment. And this is an area that we need to grow in. And as I was studying this over the past couple weeks, quite honestly, I was a little frustrated with myself I was a little frustrated that I still struggle with some of the things that I've struggled with for so long. And maybe you're like me. Maybe you surrendered your life to Christ a while ago, and you have spent a significant amount of time in church and worshiping, and you've read the Bible, and you serve, and you've been to retreats, and you've been on missions trips, and you've had a, a, a broad Christian experience. And yet maybe you're like me, and certain things keep rising up. I get so frustrated that I'm still so angry when, when I merge like a normal, decent human being should merge when the sign says merge and the one guy drives all the way to the end of that lane because he's way more important than the rest of us and merges in at the last second. Why am I so angry? Why do I want to make a citizen's arrest? Even though I don't even know if you can make a citizen's arrest. I don't even know. But I, something rises up in me that frustrates me. There's something in me that still wants to lash out, something against what God wants me to do. And we see that in Scripture. Galatians chapter 5 says this. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other, So you are not free to carry out your good intentions. That sounds a lot like us, right? This is kind of the experience that we're living. This is what Paul said in Romans chapter seven. The things I want to do, I don't usually do, but the things that I shouldn't be doing, I find myself doing. When we surrender our lives to Jesus, it doesn't mean we immediately lose our sin nature. What the Bible sometimes calls the flesh, When you give your life to Jesus, when you surrender to Him, when you commit to following Him, when you receive Holy Spirit in your lives, your sin nature receives a fatal wound. It's not going to last long term. But you want to think about it maybe as a wounded animal. A wounded animal that receives a wound oftentimes is more out of control and dangerous And so our sin nature is not going to last long term. It is wounded, but it is still alive. It's that part of us that says, you're the center of the universe. Live for your own glory. You need this. You don't just need this. You deserve this. You're the most important. You're number one. Our sin nature says, sure, you can pursue self-control as long as that means you're just getting stuff for yourself. Our sin nature takes appetites that we've been given and it just warps them. And we have all these appetites for acceptance. We want to be accepted. We want applause, we want people to love us. We want accumulation, we want stuff. And these appetites that we have begin to control us. I listened to a pastor on podcast and he made two observations about appetites. First is this, appetites are never fully and finally satisfied. Our appetites are never fully and finally satisfied. You've probably had a huge meal that you've just eaten so much and at the end you said, I cannot take one more bite. My guess is you've eaten after that (laughs) because your appetites return. But the lie that we want to believe is that there's something out there that will fully and finally satisfy this appetite in me. If I could just attain that possession, if I could just attain that position, if I could just be in that relationship, then that appetite within me will be satisfied, but we know that's not the case. When I was younger, I quite honestly, I thought when I'm 30, some of these things will go away. And then when I hit 30, I thought, well, when I'm 40, probably 40 is probably the age then some of those things are gonna go away. But the reality is, when I'm dead, (laughs) some of those things will go away, right? That's when the appetites are gone, when you're dead. They're never fully and finally satisfied. There's always a little bit more, always a little bit more, always a little bit more. And the other observation is this, appetites always whisper now and never later. Your appetites always say, you need this right now in this moment. And so every day we face this temptation to give ourselves to things that are going to take us down the wrong path. Every day we're tempted by our appetites to pursue things that aren't going to fully and finally satisfy us, that are telling us, do this now, don't worry about later. And there's so many examples in scripture. I just want to point to one. It's in Proverbs chapter seven, and the, the author of this Proverb here, he's sitting in his house and he's looking out his window and he has a vantage point where he can see things happening on the street. So he's he's not stalking, he's observing. And it says, while I was at the window of my house looking through the curtain, I saw some naive young men, and one in particular who lacked common sense. He was crossing the street near the house of an immoral woman, strolling down the path by her house. And already you know where this is going, right? And we're talking about the struggle of, of physical relationships. And I've worked with students for, for years, and it's killing them. It is a struggle. But it's not just killing students. It's killing a lot of people. This idea of, man, yeah, this is what I want. This is what I see in front of me. This is the desire that I have. This is my want. This is my craving. But you know where the story's going, right? Right? Just in those three verses, you you don't think, oh, I bet there's a great happy ending to this story. (laughs) I bet this works out at the altar and it's just going to be beautiful. It, It ends this way. She seduced him with her pretty speech and enticed him with her flattery. He followed her at once. Not into a beautiful romantic relationship. Not into something deeply fulfilling and satisfying. It says this, like an ox going to the slaughter. Like a... Big, dumb ox going to the slaughter. And if you didn't get that image, he says, like a stag caught in a trap waiting for an arrow that's going to pierce his heart. And if you didn't get that image, he was like a bird flying into a snare, little knowing it would cost him his life. So listen to me, my sons, and pay attention. Don't let your hearts stray away. Don't wander down that wayward path. There's so many things that we think are going to satisfy that appetite. There's so many things that we think we can lean into, and it's just gonna be beautiful in the moment that aren't. There's a psychological term for that. It's called anchoring. And the definition of anchoring is a cognitive bias that occurs when people place too much importance on one aspect of an event, causing an error in predicting the future outcome. It means that you place too much importance right where you are in this event, and it means that you can't really see how this thing's gonna end, and there's an error in predicting how it's gonna end. Where you see one thing, and everything else gets blurry. We see that all the time, right? You knew that in this story. You know it when you see friends walking down a path. Everybody else sees it, but they don't see it. And everybody else can see it in us, and we don't see it. It's as if we're a society of cookie monsters. From Sesame Street, this kind of ravenous, I see it, I want it, I'm going to get it, yes. And that's how we can kind of live. Our sin nature gets us into covenants with idols. And idols always disappoint. You see, the things that we are pursuing that we think will give us power always end up overpowering us. The things that we're pursuing that we think will give us power always end up overpowering us. When you pursue acceptance, you end up being controlled by acceptance. When you pursue possessions, you end up being controlled by those possessions. When you pursue power, you end up controlled by that power. When you pursue love, you end up controlled by that love. We see it all the time. You know, when... Somebody buys a a new car that they just love, and when they drive it around, they're just like, everybody's too close to me, and when they park at a store, they're the ones that are parked way away from everybody else, and we look at that, and we go, do you own the possession, or does the possession own you? These things that we think will give us power end up overpowering us. And so can we really see those things for what they truly are? Can we really look into our appetites and see beyond the adrenaline and see beyond the excitement and see the outcome at the end? How can we grow in self-control? Because it's hard. I'm reading a book right now called Thinking Fast and Slow. It's by a psychology professor from Princeton who won a Nobel Prize for Economics, bright guy. But he has a chapter on self-control and he begins with how hard it is. Self-control is difficult, he says. He asserts that self-control is rarely, if ever, intuitive. It's it's not our natural go-to. It takes this deep level of analytical thinking. He said our natural default setting is, it's all about me. I need to get mine. He also says that, When you exert self-control, it drains you the way any kind of difficult, complex mental task would or even physical task. That's why at the end of a hard day, you're less likely to exert self-control in a situation because you're tired, because it's hard. And so you kick into that default setting. Well, it's all about me. He even says there's a physiological response that when you exert self-control, you lose glucose, which is so interesting. Interesting. There's something difficult about it. And so we need to recognize that there is a difficulty and we need to lean in and begin to learn how we can be better in this area of self-control or we leave ourselves open for attack. Proverbs chapter 25 says it this way. A person without self-control is like a city with broken down walls. The walls are there to defend you and if the walls are broken down, it means things can come at you from all different kinds of angles. And so we need to be better, but oftentimes our approach is flawed. Our approach to self-control can be flawed. I went this past week to that center of all that is true and right informationally. We call it the internet. And I Googled, how can I be self-controlled? And immediately, uh, WikiHow popped up, right? It's Wikipedia's like kind of eight steps to this, that, and the other. And so I read a bunch of things, A bunch of steps on how to be self-controlled, but I was so caught by what they said at the beginning of all those things. Every different place said, you need to be self-controlled so that you can be personally successful. You need to be self-controlled because it's all about your happiness. You need to be self-controlled for your self-esteem. You need to be self-controlled so that you can take charge of your life. Everything about self-control was beginning and ending with self. And that's the first hurdle we need to get over. And that's the first key in us learning how to be self-controlled. You see, self-control that begins and ends with self doesn't work. It's actually self-defeating. Self-control that we try and do on our own does not work. You cannot get true self-control by appealing to yourself. See, what you can do is you can get other areas of your life in line while also creating other huge problems in your life. You can deal with one breach in the wall by exposing another breach in the wall. You can get, um, let's pick something obscure that none none of us struggle with, like our words. You can say, I have a problem with my words and I'm gonna work on this and I'm gonna do it myself while creating a huge pride problem. Because you're doing it for yourself and within yourself and then when you fail, which most likely you will fail, And I'm not trying to speak that over you, but when we begin and end in ourselves and we fail, we blame ourselves. We become the problem. And When we succeed, we become prideful with ourselves. And we cannot have that approach to self-control. Tim Keller says it this way. Self-control is not something you do for yourself. Self-control only comes when you want something more for yourself, more than your own happiness, more than your own ego. It's gotta be something more than yourself. Only when God is at the center will we begin to grow in self-control. I mentioned earlier that the things that we pursue thinking they will give us power end up overpowering us. Jesus is the only one that we end up truly free. When we pursue Jesus, we end up free. Self-control will grow when God is at the center. Only when it's our desire to serve others more than to serve ourselves will self-control grow. When we want to serve other people more than we want to serve ourselves, it's that paradox in scripture that we see in Matthew chapter 10. If you cling to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for me, you will find it. It has to start with God at the center. We will not achieve self-control beginning and ending with ourselves. I wanna give you three quick handles in closing here, things that we can do so that we can grow in self-control. The first is this, we need to learn God's word. We need to learn what we need to be self-controlled about. And so I would urge you to begin memorizing passages of scripture that deal with things that you are wrestling with because we need something to draw on in moments leading up to temptation and in moments in the middle of temptation. We need to know what truth is. A long time ago, I memorized Psalm 1914. It says, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O God. Because there's a lot of days when I need to say, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing in your sight. Because God has blessed me with the gift of sarcasm, And because I want to share that gift, (laughs) I have to say, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing in your sight. And when that voice in my head says, but it's funny, people will laugh. May the words of my mouth and the (laughs) meditations of my heart. There's a story in, in Acts chapter 23. It's Paul, and he's standing before the high council. And he says something that offends the high priest. And the high priest tells the guy next to Paul to slap him. And so this guy slaps Paul right in the mouth. And Paul responds angrily. He, he lashes out like you would. He speaks angrily about the leaders. And then verse five, he remembers scripture. He remembers a verse that he had memorized from Exodus chapter 22. And he says, I'm sorry, I'm sorry I shouldn't have done that because the Bible says don't speak that way about leaders. And he apologizes. And do we have something inside of us that way that we can draw on? So the first thing I would say is learn God's word. The second thing I would say is let others in. You have to let somebody into your life. You have to let somebody into your story. That's this accountability piece. Somebody that loves you, somebody that cares for you, somebody that's not afraid or intimidated by you, somebody that will speak grace and truth into your life. I would say you need to find someone that has an all-access pass to everything in your life. Somebody that will ask you tough questions, that will listen to your stories, that will love you, but still give you what the truth is. Proverbs 27.6, it says this, wounds from a sincere friend are better than many kisses from an enemy. That there's sometimes your friends will speak truth over you that will wound you, and yet that's a good thing. And so, Learn God's word. Let others in. And the last is this, look forward. And what I mean by this is, what kind of story do you want to tell with your life? Whether we realize it or not, our lives are telling a story. And so what kind of story do we want to tell with our lives? As a student, as a couple that's dating, as a leader in your business, as a parent, what story are you telling with your life? We live in a post literal era, which means the worldview right now is digital. Image is more powerful than words. Video is more powerful than audio. But the problem is most of our self-control is based on audio, and the world we live in is video. So when we're at a store and the audio says to us, oh, you really don't need to buy that The video says, wow, you make this look good. You should have that. When the audio says you're really close to a physical boundary in this relationship and you need to take a step back, the video says, no, you don't. Every rom-com you've ever seen, every TV show you've ever seen, every print ad you've ever seen, this is what makes people happy. Your audio says, eat a carrot. The video says, but these are peanut butter cubs right in front of me. I want to lean into that. And so we have to do a better job of framing our future, of being able to look forward and see that we're living a story out. And what's that going to look like? I think a super practical way to do this is sometime this week, take out a piece of paper, and at the top of that piece of paper write, in five years. And then pray about it. Think about it. Talk about it with your family. But start putting some real clear video to your story. Because we know what a better story is. Is it a better story to say, yeah, I was in the moment, and it was just the two of us, and no one was around, and we've been dating for a long time? Or is it a better story to say to your fiance, I've waited just for you, that I could look past that moment and see into that? so that we can continue on this path to being conformed to the character of Christ. So may we be a people that value God's will over our wants, that value God's commands over our cravings, and may we be a people that see the essential and the important, not the immediate and the urgent all the time. Would you pray with me? Jesus, thanks for your word. Thank you for these proverbs, and I pray the blessing Of courage and self control over this congregation. I pray that we would be a people marked by this idea of you at the center of our lives and that you would increase and that we would decrease. And so help us to walk in that. I pray that you would give us just an understanding of your grace and forgiveness for when we mess up that we wouldn't be defeated by that, but we would continue to pursue you wholeheartedly so that we could be conformed to your character, Jesus. We love you in your name, amen. Salem Alliance Church is a community of Jesus followers located in downtown Salem, Oregon, and we are passionate about our city being a city at peace with God. If you have a request that we could pray for, please email us at SalemAlliance.org. You can view today's entire service online at livestream.com backslash Salem Alliance.